afternoon, and welcome to Talking Golf. I'm Douglas Maida, and I will be your host for this episode. Our show is part of the World of Golf digital media channel, and we're recording this episode from our studio in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. Before we begin, though, I would like to welcome our listeners from around the world that are joining us for today's show. Without your participation and support, we would not be here to bring you golf news from around the world. So we have a great show for you with plenty of action to talk about from the world of golf this past weekend and coming up this week. We're going to be joined in a few moments by two of the Golf Channel's on-course analysts, Karen Stupples and Jerry Foltz. In our episode today, we'll be chatting about the U.S. Open Championship. With the cancellation of this year's Open Championship at Royal St. George's and the rescheduling of the Masters to November, the U.S. Open will be the second major played this year after the PGA Championship that was held earlier in San Francisco. This year's U.S. Open returns to Winged Foot Golf Club in New York, which has been the site of some very memorable U.S. Opens. There are plenty of storylines going into this tournament. One happens every year, and that has to do with how the USGA has set up the course for this year. Will par be a winning score this year, or will we see another massacre at Winged Foot, like we did in 1974? Some other storylines include Phil Mickelson, and whether he can win the career Grand Slam after coming so close the last time the U.S. Open was hosted at Winged Foot. Tiger is coming off of some mediocre play after returning from the coronavirus break. Will Tiger contend for another major championship in his pursuit of Jack Nicklaus's record? And will Dustin Johnson, DJ, continue his incredible form? Will he capture his second U.S. Open championship to the one he claimed at Oakmont? But before we get to that, we will start with the ANA Inspiration Championship. The LPGA second major was held this past weekend in Palm Springs, California, and brought plenty of excitement to our television sets. In her last hole of the tournament, Miriam Lee chipped in for an eagle to tie her for the lead with Nellie Korda. Korda, who was playing in the group behind, could not make another birdie on either 17 or 18 to win outright. Meanwhile, the other overnight co-leader, Brooke Henderson, scrambled to make birdie on 18 to also get herself into the playoff. Then it only took one playoff hole for Miriam Lee to win. The South Korean player made birdie to win the playoff and the ANA championship. Henderson and Korda could only muster par, and just like that, it was all over. This is Miriam Lee's first major championship, and that now gives her four wins on the LPGA Tour. Some of the other topics from the ANA include the use of a wall on the 18th green. It's usually used to promote the lead sponsor, the ANA Airlines, while also serving as a support for a small grandstand for guests and dignitaries. But with no spectators at this year's event, it left many analysts, commentators, and players wondering why it was being used. We're also going to chat with our guest about some of the challenges of competing in women's professional golf. This was inspired by the events that were reported this past weekend regarding a club manufacturer and a professional player being refused the courtesy of being supplied club heads for building new irons. Now joining us from Oregon is Karen Stupples, a former LPGA player and a past winner of the AIG Women's Open Championship. Well, thank you for joining us, Karen. I appreciate it. I hope you've had a safe drive up and uh, even with all the smoke, you managed to see some of the scenery and enjoy your drive. It's been the most fabulous drive, actually, to be honest. Uh, it was a little smoky in places and we probably didn't see some of the, the highest of the mountains, but uh, just to meander, you know, up the middle of 
Nevada and and up through into Oregon was just simply stunning. Yeah, it's a beautiful drive. And I was going to playfully suggest to you, um, I don't know if you like wine or not, but uh, you're into wine country in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Um, I had, I did notice a, a few uh, vineyards around and about, and um, didn't didn't stop because uh, Jerry is more known for his hop his hop liking. So uh, <laughs> we, if uh, if there had been some uh, beer stops along the way, I'm pretty sure we would have made that. But uh, we didn't get to stop <laughs> in any of those uh, the, the wine places. <laughs> well, you still got time, eh? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Uh... Some big excitement happening this past weekend in Palm Springs and the ANA Inspiration Championship. Miriam, uh, Miriam Lee was the winner in a playoff. So what are your thoughts impression? It, sound, it looked like it was pretty exciting golf. What was it like uh, being there? Well, it was crazy because I was actually following Miriam um, in the final round. And it was, it was one of those kind of days that all the action seemed to be going on behind me uh, in the group that Jerry was following. That was, you know, the Brooke Henderson and the Nelly Corder sort of, it seemed to be very much head to head between those two for most of the day. And Miriam was kind of just hanging around, not really going anywhere, not really doing anything. And it just seemed to be a little bit quiet for me out there. Like there wasn't really an awful lot going on. Um, when I joined the group, I joined the group on, I think I joined them on the fourth hole. So I watched them play the fourth, the fifth. And then at the sixth, Miriam chips in. I'm like, oh, well, that's good. Little chip in for a birdie just to kind of keep things ticking along nicely. No big deal. So we keep moving along, keep playing golf. And then on the 16th, she kind of hits a bit of a, you know, iffy shot, short and left. She chips in again. And all of a sudden, everybody's mind starts wondering because the reason you start to, to think of that something might might be happening is that when somebody chips in like that, it's normally a sign. You know, that's normally, you know, people just don't win things randomly. Something good always happens during the course of the round that gives them a little bit of inspiration or gives them a little bit of belief that, that they might be able to get the job done. And in the meantime, Brooke Henderson, a couple of holes back, had had a double bogey. Nelly was kind of still just chugging along. And all of a sudden, it's looking really interesting. So the 18th hole comes up. And Miriam stripes a drive down the fairway. And, you know, she's plenty strong enough to get to the green. And sure enough, she hits the shot, hits the five wood, hits the, you know, lands up against the, the wall at the back, the blue wall at the back. And so she gets relief. And I'm standing there thinking, she, what if she chips this in? It's game on. And sure enough, I mean, it was the most exquisite chip. But it was really motoring. I mean, it was going so fast down the hill, but it hit that flag and fell in the hole. And then it was game on. And then it's like, who's going to, can Nelly hold, can Nelly go ahead and, and, and win this outright? Can Brooke somehow conjure up some magic and, and do something as well? So everybody's just hanging around waiting to see what happened. And of course, it ended up being a, a, a three-person playoff. And, uh, and what, a crazy, what a crazy thing that was too. Yeah, yeah. I, I was suspecting that uh, all Nelly had to do was uh, really get her drives in the yes. fairway, 16 or 17, 18. Yes. Um, I mean, she's plenty long enough and she's good with her irons and just, you know, yep. but exactly. for some reason, and then in the playoffs, same thing as well, just just couldn't quite get it done. No, and, and you know, the, the biggest irony of the whole thing is, is that I, I don't, I mean, 
Brooke Henderson is a really great driver of the golf ball, but I don't think there's a better driver of the golf ball on the LPGA Tour than Nelly Corder right now. I mean, she is just impressive. I mean, it's long, it's straight, the ball flight is just magnificent to watch. And to see them, see her miss, it's just, it's just, I, I couldn't fathom it to, you know, for two shots in a row, one in regulation and then, and then one in the playoffs. And um, ultimately, that probably cost her because if she hits the fairway, she's easily getting to that green in two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned Jerry was covering the group behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that was kind of your one of your marquee pairings for a final Sunday at a major. Yep. Oh, no, no doubt about it. Um, when you've got Nellie Corder and Brooke Henderson, I mean, I, I think probably, I mean, obviously Brooke is... I mean, just such a superstar. And she's already a major winner. Um, the most winningest golfer from Canada of all time. You know, she's she's that, you know, that superstar. And Nelly is is on the verge of that kind of of level of stardom on now herself. And and I think, you know, had she gone ahead and won the A and A, she would, you know, we could class her, you know, up there too. Um, and, and so for those two to be paired together and going back and forth, head to head all day long, I mean, that was, that was, the, that was where the action was happening, for sure, mm-hmm. and where all the interest was. And, and Miriam was just sneakily behind the scenes, working away, just slowly getting her jobs done as she should. Um, but it was, it was riveting, I think, for people to watch what was going on in Jerry's group. And certainly for me listening to it, because obviously I couldn't see but I could definitely hear the reactions of, of what was going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, quite uh, exciting, you know, the uh, yeah. the two on uh, the final group trading blows almost, you know, and I read some of the commentators afterwards were relating it more like a boxing match, <laughs> you know, exchanging the blows back and forth and seeing if they could KO the other. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, lots of credit to, to Brooke too, because... Um, once she made that double bogey on 13, to, to hang in there and to not quit and to keep going, I mean, that shows a lot of determination on her part. And I mean, that's why she's done what she's done. I mean, she has those, that intangible, that, that competitive edge that, that just, just keeps her, that just keeps her marching on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Miriam chips in at what point when you were following the group, did you feel that she's kind of, you know, does she have the golf gods, if you will, shining down on her? Was it the first chip, second chip, or definitely the third chip? I, I think it was the second chip. Uh, after 16, I'm like, oh, this could be it. But then she went ahead and bogeyed 17. I'm like, oh, that's bad. But then once she hit the group, once she, you know, had, was in position on 18, I'm like, I've seen some really crazy things happen on that 18th green in the past. You know, I'm thinking of... Uh, uh, Ari Song, you know, when she when she curled in a huge putt on that 18th green to, to make eagle uh, to force, you know, I can't remember who it was now, but I've just seen some crazy things happen on that 18th. Kari Webb holding out from the fairway for eagle to go ahead and win. Um, stuff happens on that 18th hole, and she chipped in twice already. You think it can't possibly happen three times, right? <laughs> it can't. It can't. It's not. I mean, that's just. But she, but you knew that she needed to chip in to have a chance, and and it was just when that ball went in the hole with such force, you're like, I've seen this, I've seen this story told, you know, 
when things brilliant happen to players, you know, they chip in, things happen, that they win. Because I think some things are just meant to be, and that was just one of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I was kind of following it, watching it, but then uh, I also was getting updates on Twitter myself. And when she chipped in, it was like the Twitter just exploded. Everybody was oh. like, how can this happen? Three chip-ins in a, one round. <laughs> well, she, she had even chipped in as well on Saturday's round too. So four chip-ins over the course of the weekend. That's, I mean, that's just, I mean, that's crazy stuff. I mean, bear, bear, bear in mind you're talking to, to a person that hold out for an albatross in the final round. Of the <laughs> so I, you know, I understand a little bit of good fortune from time to time. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. even, but even when you, even when I spoke to her afterwards, whilst we were waiting to see what, what the final group would do, I was like, how about your chipping? She said, oh, she said, I think very lucky. So she, you know, she even felt like she was quite lucky. And she had that kind of pace on the ball as it was coming down the uh, slope then. It would have been close to going off the edge of the green the other side. I mean, she certainly would have had at least a 10-footer coming back. Well, you know, that's funny you say that because I noticed that's probably one of the differences. Watching on television, you couldn't quite tell if that was just the right speed or if it was going a, no. too fast or, you know, fortunate. But when you're there, well, you it, can really see the putt. Or the chip. Well, and, it, and if you fast forward to Brooke Henderson's chip in the playoff too, same kind of thing. I mean, that thing ro rolled past the hole so quickly. It Miriam's was going to end up the same place. Yeah. If yeah. it hadn't have gone in. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Fantastic. Um, any other thoughts about uh, Miriam? Was she an unexpected winner or was she kind of, everybody kind of kept an eye on her because she's, she's won in the past before. It's not like she's an unknown. <laughs> And she's a solid uh, player. When she gets she going, is. she gets going. She is. And, uh, but I think that I would be lying if I said I expected her to win. Um, certainly, she was not on anybody's lips at the start of the week. Nobody really thought to mention her at all. And even going into the final rounds, she was not the person that people were thinking was going to go ahead and win. Um, she was ranked 94th at the start of the week. I mean, she wasn't that kind of person. She hadn't even really put up some great numbers going into the championship. So, no, ultimately, we really didn't feel like she was going to be that person. And, and, and ultimately, she's, you know, she's, she's won three times before, but not really like on this stage. I mean, it, it's, it just, it was a bit of a surprise. But... Mm -hmm. Ultimately, when it came down to it, uh, and maybe this is the year of the unexpected winner in in many many ways. I mean, obviously Danielle Kang, she you know she's she's pretty expected, but Sophia Popov, that mm -hmm. definitely was not expected at the the AIG Women's Open. Um, I think the lack of fans and the lack of spectators and the lack of atmosphere within the golf course to hear the crowds, to hear the cheers and the roars. And the added pressure of of trying to perform in front of people, once you take that away, I, I think think that you can get some unexpected things happen. And and so really, maybe we should have expected this. Yeah, that's very good points. Very good points because it, it you don't hear the Sunday roars happening like you would have yeah. traditionally when the fans are there and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it's a little probably a little bit more calming if you're uh, not used to playing with the crowd so much. So. Exactly. And, and in the same way as, as somebody like a, a Nelly or a Brooke that's used to having a lot of people around and cheering, 
might respond differently to that as well. Like that might they might raise their game even more to rise to the occasion. Yeah. Can I ask you, Karen, do you think there was a little bit of, how would you say, Nelly and Brooke? I mean, I remember reading and listening to Jack talk a fair bit about some of his um, final rounds with Arnold in uh, some of the majors. And he, and he had a comment, and I think Arnold said the same thing too at one point, was that uh, they started to get too focused on each other. And mm -hmm. they played against each other and more or less forgot the rest of the field, and the field would pass them by. <laughs> Do you think there's a little bit of element there, Nelly and Brooke kind of going back and forth and maybe paying a little bit too much attention to each other and, and kind of forgetting that they're playing um, a field too? I, I don't think so. I, I think that they were quite clearly, you know, I mean, at least ahead above everybody else. Maybe not head and shoulders, but they were certainly ahead and consistently ahead, you know. Miriam, I mean, she, I mean, it was always maybe three shots difference there. I mean, it, she wasn't really that close. She was hanging around, but never enough to really be, oh, you know, and she's not the kind of person you think is a danger person when you see her on the leaderboard. And it was the first week uh, since, since we've come back that there was a lot of leaderboards out there. So, so big high five to, to the organizers at A&A for putting an absolute ton of scoreboards out there for everybody to really know to pay attention to what was going on because it was the first time you know since i've been following the lpga since the return that i have noticed a whole number of scoreboards um so that everybody knew where they were standing across the whole championship and so it, it would be very easy for you know for brooke and nelly to to think that they were kind of playing against each other because ultimately they were and it wasn't until the 16th when Miriam chipped in, all of a sudden it wasn't just about them. And then they had to go ahead and perform on those last few holes coming down the stretch. And so it was it was really interesting, to be honest, you know, watching mm -hmm. how it all watching how it all played out. But it was, I mean, definitely finally the sort of the matchup that everybody was looking for. And and don't forget that Lexi Thompson was playing with Miriam Lee as well. Um, she did not get off to the, the round that, that she would have liked because I thought being in that second to last group would have been ideal for Lexi. I mean, the golf course was teed up perfectly for her to play well on too. And it just didn't happen. And that's golf. You know, sometimes golf happens and you don't get the result you expect or or the, or even the, the winner that us in the media was expecting either. So, I mean, at the start of the week, somebody asked me, who was I going to pick to win? My pick was Nelly. Um, so it was because, one, of her driving, and two, the confidence that she had gained in her putting. Those are, are two fabulous things that you need on that golf course. And what I had seen in that week was Lexi was also in that place too. All of a sudden, she's driving the ball well again, and she's got confidence in her putter. Same with Brooke Henderson, driving the ball well, a little bit of confidence in her putter, even though it kind of fell a little bit short in the second round. But she was right there too. And so it was really teed up. You know, you have three big names in women's golf uh, going head to head in the final round of the major. I mean, it couldn't have set it up any better for people watching. Yeah, yeah. That was fantastic. So, what were some of the differences? I mean, normally the ANAs played in uh, the end of March, beginning of April. Mm -hmm. It's usually the first major uh, professional golf season. Um, okay. Now, playing it in the summertime, 
-hmm. What were some of the differences? Did you notice a big difference between the way it was setting up and whatnot? Yeah, there was a huge difference. Um, obviously, the heat. Uh, it, it, it was all. It was. It's always warming in in you know a April. Don't get me wrong. It's warm, but it's not this kind of warm. I mean, not it was a. It was oppressively hot. I mean, just yeah. crazy warm. So the ball's going to fly a, a good bit of distance. Um, the, and the Bermuda grass, I mean, what a difference that made too. Uh, the Bermuda grass, just brutal if you were in the rough. Uh, players struggled to control the ball from it and made a you know a good premium on, on hitting the fairways because the greens were slippery, they were quick, and you really needed to be on the, on the right side of the hole if you wanted to have a realistic birdie opportunity. The other interesting thing that I found uh, with regards to golf courses that they've had chopped a number of trees down and sort of thinned out a number of the big eucalyptus trees. And it kind of opened up some of the holes, you know, sight lines. So it kind of felt a little bit more open. And from a from a on-course commentator's perspective, there wasn't as much shade out there as there had been in the past. So there was no hiding from the heat. Uh, but it was it was a fascinating championship. But honestly, I actually wouldn't mind it seem to be played this time of year every year and having you know a and a as a sponsor wouldn't this be a great way to send the players off to, to asia have the maybe the final major of the year held here on this golf course this time of year which i personally find it fascinating watching them play it and then be able to send them off to to play their asian swing after right. competing here i, I personally yeah. i personally think this would be a, a great move because it takes it away from the masters and, and all that goes on around that. And, and finally that the women might be able to get the attention that the ANA inspiration really deserves. Right. Right. Oh, that's an excellent point you raised, Karen. That's excellent point. No, that would uh, make a lot of sense because, you know, you just look at what the weather's done in the past a little bit with the uh, Evian being held in September and the yeah. iffy weather in, in Switzerland. I mean, you've got the, the air changing and the weather and the mountains coming down and, you know, it's a little bit hit and miss at that time of the year, which is why I see they, they moved it up a little bit in the calendar. Yeah. Palm Springs, you know, you can almost play there all year round and it's going to be ideal. Exactly. I mean, I, the only the only, the only only fly in the ointment, I suppose, is, is the NFL and uh, football. But, you know, I, you know I, I, just, I just think I prefer for this, this, uh, this, this point in the calendar for this championship. I just think it really gives the, the players a, and I send off into Asia and it just seems like a nice little progression. And, and personally, I really love the course, how it played. I thought it played absolutely stunning this time of year. Oh, fantastic. And yeah, that'd be nice. I mean, it's a much shorter flight. I mean, if you look at it now, yeah. um, where do they wind up before they hit the Asian swing? Is that going to be out of New Jersey or is it uh, the week? The, well, no, I guess it'd be the KPMG first. Well, it, there it is no. Be, no, yeah. this year is kind of null and void now, but um but it, it's normally not not quite as simple as that. There's normally just a week off and then everybody. But this would be this would be quite nice. I think it adds continuity to to the schedule and kind of ties in ties in what happens on you know in America on this side of the LPGA tour before they move over to Asia. You have you know you have A and A, Japan yeah. Airline, you know a sponsor from Japan. Everything kind of swings on over there. It kind of ties everything in nicely. But yeah, yeah. I'm not, not in charge. Quite luckily, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, terrific points. Yeah. Um, we talked about the differences in the golf course. Now let's talk about the blue wall. Oh, yeah. Obviously, there was critics. Uh, Judy Rankin let her thoughts be known. 
Um, it was kind of different. I mean, understandable that they put it up for consistency's sake and, you know, you have the sponsor you want to thank a lot. I guess, as some were saying, some of the critics were saying, why bother with the wall when you don't have a grandstand or, you know, the uh, spectator area right there? It kind of defeats the purpose and it takes yep. on this artificiality, if you will. Yep. What did you think? Yep. Uh, well, there's, there's two, there's two issues here. I think one, obviously I, I, I played this course, uh, where the back penalty area, the back water was in play. And I've also played it when the stand was there. And so I remember that as soon as that stand was in play and you could use it as a backstop, there was a stir around the golf course and the players and the caddies and everybody like, Oh, this is less to worry about now. Uh, so I remember that day, that, that championship, um, I, can't, I can't remember the date, but I remember that feeling and thinking that it was there. So I remember seeing it played both ways. Um, I, I have no problem with a, with them wanting to keep um, sponsorship in view um obviously it's a very difficult time uh for the lpga and for sponsors and championships and you know i think for for to a and a for, for keeping the championship going i think i mean you can't thank them enough for wanting to but for being able to do this for the lpga so if you want to put put advertising up there to help them out absolutely my little bit of a beef with it is that it was bigger than a stand would have been. I mean, the scoreboard, there was a scoreboard on the left side. That was never on that left side. The scoreboard was was always the other side of the water. And it seemed to extend a little bit bigger than it had before, which is okay. You're still using it as signage. My other issue then is if you're using it as signage, make the sponsorship logos on it massive. Make them as big as you can. Have big A&A signage everywhere. Make it big. But the A&A signage was very small and it was only at the very top of the wall. Um, so that in every picture and every shot that you see of Mirin Lee chipping, it's just a plain blue background. You, you don't actually see the A&A signage. Right. So if you're going to say that it's because of sponsorship and signage, make it because it's sponsorship and signage. Mm -hmm. And so that to me kind of, you can argue that point, but then if you do that, it kind of takes that point away. So I'm okay with it being there. I would have liked it to have been a bit smaller so that it made it, you had to be a little bit more accurate with how you were going to hit the wall if you were going to use the wall. Um, <laughs> and, and I can't think, I mean, it definitely played in. Miriam Lee said that she played for the wall right. um, in her right. interview. So, so it, it became part of the story anyway. Um, I hate the fact that it's overtaken the fantastic championship as the story. And I want to thank you for focusing on um, the players and the play to start with, because that, that to me was, was the excitement of the whole thing was how everybody played and, and the stories and everything leading up to it. Uh, so thank you for that because most people want to talk about the wall first. Um, so I, I think that it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it gave a lot on one hand and took away with the other. Um, yes, it, it, in an ideal world, this could be the one year, that, that it would have been cool not to have had it there because there was no stands there. There was nobody to sit there, but yes, you should still have sponsorship. Um, you should still give props to A and A 
for sponsoring the event. They still need and deserve that, right. that signage. Right. So make right. it so. For sure, for sure. Um, I noticed there was some comments, not a lot, but some comments out there that said next year being the 50th anniversary of the Dinah Shore to go back to the original setup on the 18th for next year, just kind of in commemoration of the roots of the event and, uh, yeah. and whatnot. It would be very interesting to see how they proceed with that. Um, because obviously now if you go back to that, then you're kind of bowing mm -hmm. into pressure and saying that you were wrong for doing it in the first place. So, uh, and, and, and to be honest, I mean, it's been there now for well, at least seven, eight years or so. It's been there for a good number of years. And there are players that, unlike me, that are young, they don't remember it being played any other way. Uh, the way that you could do it would be to um, have the stands, you know, suspended over the, over the water, have it still there. You can still do all that. Uh, but you need to soften the green just a smidge, just to keep that same... Uh, desire to want to go for it and to, to create that drama because honestly I don't think that many people would have gone for it um, had it not been there and we would never have had the drama or the or the or the suspense because that green was really firm this year maybe firmer than than, than I even remember it because I when I remember playing it it was you had to have the perfect number of the perfect club but you could still like I still felt like I could hold a hybrid on that green. I mean, we saw, we've seen, you know, Brittany Lincecum hold hybrids on that green before. And it, it is possible. Mm -hmm. um, but this year, because the time of year, because the Bermuda grass, it was really firm. It would have been tough. They would have had to have watered it a little bit more to have, to have had that same effect. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they will or they won't. And I don't know. That's hard for me to say which, which I would prefer, to be honest with you. It's right. hard for me to, to really, but what I do know is that I don't want it as big as it was, as long as it was taking up all of that space. I still want there to have to be a little bit of room left of the grandstand that you, if you pull it, you still could find the water. And the same way as if you push it a little bit too much and it runs through, you could still run through on the right too. Yeah. Uh, that, those kind of things were taken away. So have I, and you can have it, but not quite as big, not quite as wide. <laughs> all right. <laughs> How about that? How about that for there, a political answer? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, speaking of political answers, let's uh, talk a little bit about the issue that happened this weekend. Um, there was some discussion about um, sponsorship and one of the PGA players or LPGA players having to um, struggle to get clubs and it raised the whole issue of sponsorship, equipment sponsorship, and really highlighted the discrepancies and differences between the top women professionals and uh, their male counterparts. Did you have any experiences or anything like that, uh, Karen, or personal stories or experiences that relate to that? Um, I do have actually, um, as it as it happens, you know, personal personal experiences from from my part. Um, I had a sponsor that um, that once I had my my baby, they didn't want to to keep going, uh, so so they. So they backed out of the contract after I had Logan. And, and in general, it's, it's not quite the same. Uh, you always feel like you, you know, you're going cap in hand to, to some companies. And then I was very lucky. I mean, it's, it's, if you look at my Twitter, uh, I've been a Callaway ambassador for a number of years. And Callaway have been the most supportive and the most fantastic to me 
um, throughout the course uh, of, of the sort of the, the last half of my playing career. So I, I, I can thank Callaway for that. But there are a number of, of other stories. Beth Ann Nichols has wrote a fa fabulous article a couple of years ago. Um, I would suggest people, you know, if they want to, to go and read about that. Um, but there is, it is different. It is very different. And, and you can argue uh, there is there is not as much interest in the women's game as uh, as there is in the men's game, and and um, I even had somebody say that to me from a manufacturer's perspective, obviously before Callaway, that said, oh well, we don't we don't want to market to to women because it's not it's not as financially uh, sound for us. Which you know, as a company, everybody has to rationalise things how how they want to. Um, but I think for the most part, and I had hoped that, that things were changing. Um, and I think that uh, investing in women's sport and women's game is is something that will continue to improve. And I think that's something that uh, we should all strive for, for the, for the future. And I think every company that, that wants to be involved in the sport, if there is a women's division, I think continue to support because you never know where it's all going to pay dividends for you in the long run. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, geez, that's a that's a tough story to have happen, especially you know you look at it and compare it to the private sector. And if you'd have been working as an employee in a in a large organization, then you start to see discrepancies there as well. Well, there's that. I, I think that across the board, um, as as a you know men and women, you know you you know we're still coming from different areas and different and different parts of. Uh, you know, generational differences too. I mean, it's um, who's in charge now. You know, if, if we look, I mean, honestly, we're probably a generation away from from being where women and men could be seen as being equals, to be honest with you. We're probably a generation away from it because I still think that the generation that's in charge now still looks at uh, their parents and who was working and who was staying at home and so on and so forth. And, you know, but I look at my son, Logan, uh, and and he looks at me as a hard-working woman, as a mother who who, I mean, excuse me, but bus asked every single week uh, to provide for him and to give him a life, and you know who sacrificed so much to to play um, tournament golf and to win championships and to do all of that. That he sees that from me, and he sees that I deserve respect too. And it isn't until you know, he gets to be a leader of a company or in charge of organizations or whatever it is that I really feel that you'll start to see that change. Mm -hmm. um, so we're probably maybe a generation away from it, which is, I hate to think that we're that far away still. But when you look at where things are, I think that that's probably what it's all about. And I think it requires maybe, I don't want, I don't want to have to settle and be patient and wait for things. But I think that, you know, I think you have to slowly, slowly keep making, making little inroads, making little movements, making, making little progressions in, in that department. And, uh, and hopefully we'll get there. Right. Fingers crossed. Right. Yeah. Thanks for your thoughts and uh, sharing some of your personal experiences, Karen. Yeah. Um, coming up now, you're in going to be in Portland for the Cambia, Portland Classic. Mm -hmm. It's an annual stop on the LPGA Tour. Um, they shortened it to a 54-hole event. 
yeah. largely due in part to the air quality uh, advisory that was yeah. going on in Portland from the forest fire smoke, wildfire smoke. Uh, what are your thoughts? Good move? Uh, it was the only move they could make. Um, honestly, they've had, you know, the LPGA have been struggling, you know, to keep, you know, their LPGA events alive, you know, to keep moving forward to, you know, with the, after COVID. I mean, it's just been difficult for them. And Cambia is such a great sponsor that it would be a terrible shame to, to have to let this one go. Now, the forecast, yes, as terrible as it has been, you know, with the air quality, there is rain in the forecast and, and the air quality index is supposed to be pretty much back to normal by Friday. So for them to, you know, and, and obviously for Thursday to tomorrow to have big improvements as well. So by cancelling Thursday's first round, making it a 54-hole event, which Portland was typically a 54-hole event anyway for the longest amount of time, um, it keeps, the, keeps the, the, the tournament alive, one, but it also gives the players a chance to play a practice round in, in good conditions on Thursday. It gives us as TV people a chance to, to set up the course because up until today, uh, the crew haven't been allowed on the golf course because the air conditions have been too bad. So they haven't been able to lay cables. They haven't been able to set up cameras. They haven't been able to, to set up the TV trucks. There's been nothing available for us to do. Even the grounds crew, the, the conditions were so bad that the grounds crew had to go out in full ventilators and only five of them were allowed out at any one time. So the course couldn't even be prepared properly. Um, and so, yes, this was, a, this was a good move because I think that it keeps the tournament going. And, and hopefully it just buys a little bit of time for the air quality to improve uh, so that everybody can be out there healthy and uh, not, not be the equivalent of smoking cigarettes. <laughs> well, I was going to say we're old enough when we could remember seeing people on the golf course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, how things have changed, eh? <laughs> I know, right? Well, we're all athletes now. <laughs> done that, right? Yes. Um, Cambia is going to see some names that we haven't seen for a little while. Probably right at the top will be our um, AIG Women's Open champion, Sophia Popoff. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts, ideas? She seems to uh, she seems to be very popular coming into this event and getting a lot of uh, uh, yeah. kudos and mentions from uh, other players on tour. Well, I think it's I think that for the most I think that everybody would have loved to have heard to have had an opportunity to have played before now. Um, but the, the rules and regulations that the LPJ have, you know, managed to keep her out of them. And you know what, it, it's hard to, to second guess. Mike Wan came out and posted a really good, good statement about why, why that was. So, but now she has an opportunity to play. And I think the excitement around it is that the rise that she's had and the struggles that she's had to get here, um, are finally paying off for her. You know, she's now uh, a winner, an L a major champion. And no matter what happens, that's never going to be taken away from her. She won the AIG Women's Open at Royal Troon, of all mm. places. I mean, right. it's just a, a fabulous story that four weeks prior, she was caddying for another player at the, at the Drive-On Championship. She caddied for Anne Van Damme. Then she manages to get into the marathon. She finishes in the ninth there, which earns her a place at Troon. And then she goes ahead and wins. I mean, fairy tales, I mean, don't get any better than that. 
So right. the interest in her is huge. Um, I hope that she doesn't feel any pressure to to live up to what happened in Truon because this is a very different golf course. It's a very different week. I hope she enjoys the the stardom and fandom that she has now and the role model that she is now to all manner of people uh, about overcoming um, hardships. And um, I hope she embraces it. And I think everybody's fascinated to see her play again. We couldn't get enough. Right, right. Um, speaking of the AIG Women's Open, this incidentally, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Hinako Shagun was going to be playing and this will be her first start on a truly LPGA event. Yeah. She is, um, I think that she will actually, I think there's potential for her to play quite well because uh, this golf course will seem quite familiar to her, uh, that the tree-line nature of, of Columbia Edgewater um, will remind her of where she won at Woburn. It will also, because they're, you know, big sort of evergreen trees at both. And and I think sort of playing in Japan, I mean, there's a lot of tree-line courses there right. too, slightly undulated fairways. I think it will feel very comfortable to her. And uh, it's good to see her out playing again. Yeah, terrific. Um, I noticed some of the other names when we look down the uh, playing list. Uh, the return of Nayan Choi, former U.S. Open women's champion. Yep. Have you been following any of her game lately or where she might be at? You know, it's hard. You know, she's, it's hard to see her, how she hasn't been, how she doesn't play fabulous every single week. Um, tremendous golf swing, just great attitude on the golf course. Uh, lovely person to, you know, to, to, to watch play. But for some reason, the confidence has just gone a little bit. So hopefully she can come back for it with some confidence. And maybe this little break has been exactly what she needs. But she's a really fascinating character too because she got a degree in Korea for, for biomechanics of a golf swing. And her thesis was on her own swing. So, I mean, just an amazing, you know, to, to, to have to study your own swing that in depth I mean, that's not easy because if anybody has watched a video of their own swing, it's so easy just to pick holes and even just the most minute little details of it, let alone having to go into every single tiny little movement from a biomechanical perspective of how and why things happen. Um, I mean, just mind-blowing. And so mm. hopefully she can come out, get some confidence and, and just play golf. Get back to getting the ball in the hole, stop thinking swings, just play golf. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking at the field, any ideas, thoughts about who you think might be potential contenders this week? Nelly Corder. I mean, how can you how can you not? I know Brooke has withdrawn, but Nelly. I mean, talk about somebody coming in with some form. And I think when you when you go through, I mean, I, if you look at what happened to Aria Drutanagan after she narrowly lost to Lydia Ko a number of years ago at the A and Inspiration. All of a sudden, Eric Dutkanagan ripped off three wins in a row. And it was, it was, it lit a fire in her. And I think that this could be the same thing for Nelly. I think this is, you know, this could be the thing that's really kind of gets her off and running. I mean, how can anybody not like her around this golf course? Right. Um, another interesting one might be in B Park. I mean, this golf course should be right up in B Park's alley in terms of putting and how she plays. And so, 
there's a number of players that, that you could really look to that uh, that will fill that fill that void quite nicely. But with it being only a three day championship, you better get off for a fast start and go after that golf course quick and get as low as you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much a sprint, not the uh, marathon that the four days. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you got it. Um, this show and today's episode would not be complete if we didn't talk the U.S. Open at Winged Foot. Yeah. So I know you've been covering the LPGA and the uh, women's game a little bit for the last few weeks, but you had been covering the men's before that, and you keep an eye on it. Uh, This year, it's being held at Winged Foot, very historic venue. Um, Also the site of one of the most memorable, for not necessarily all the right reasons, in 1974, we had what we called the, they dubbed the massacre at Winged Foot. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing some of the videos and some of the feedback coming out about how hard the course is going to play this year. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? I'm fascinated, to be honest with you, with with the prospect of, of wing foot, because obviously we've heard so much about it. The, the winning scores have typically been over par. I think there was only one year where, where the winning score was under par at wing foot. Um, and... You, you look at you know the USGA officials, they all say that they want Wingfoot to play like Wingfoot, which means that they're, they're thinking that even par over par is going to be what, what wins this championship. And I think the players all kind of have that in their mind too. But what you can't forget is this is a completely different... I mean, 2006 was a long time ago. I mean, 14 years, a whole lot has happened in, in men's golf in terms of how far the players hit it, the technology involved in how players achieve on a golf course and how that all plays into effect on this traditional golf course. It's going to be a battle of, of, of new versus old, you know, it's old golf course, old values. How do they stand up against new golf, new game, new, new length? You know, how does, how do these two, two things fight and battle each other out? That's the, that's the fascinating thing for me. I mean, uh, a number of players are going to stand there on the tee and just pound on driver and just get it down there as far as they can because they figure that with a shorter club in their hand, at least they can kind of shove it out there, get it to around the fronts of the green. And everybody said that if you can get it to the fronts of the green or even just short of the green and just have a little pitch up, you're going to be much better off than if you're kind of missing right and left and long and stuff on this course. So good short game, aggressive play, I think it's going to be fascinating. I think that how it all plays out, I don't know. But I think one thing's for sure, you've got to be strong mentally if you want to win a US Open on wing foot. I think mental toughness is the biggest key. And just thinking about it, I think you've got to be kind to yourself too, accepting that stuff's going to happen. You know, that's just part of it. Right, right. I saw a video clip earlier this week from Billy Foster um, caddying for... Matt Fitzpatrick and uh, the clip was of him and uh, being on the green and testing it with some golf balls to see how things were going to play and Mm -hmm. he you know just tried to simulate a a shot landing into the green and it rolled all the way up to the top of the green nearly stopped and believe it or not that ball made it all the way off the green on the other end just just incredible that uh, greens are going to be that fast they are, and they're going to be um, 
I mean, the undulation on these greens is is just tremendous too. I mean, Justin Thomas was talking today in his interview about how um, there are sometimes you could use some of these undulations as backstops for your putts. I mean, and he's like, I've never thought of having a backstop for a putt before. And, <laughs> I, I, and you know, you hear stories of people potentially laying up on the third as a par three, you know, and, and chipping up on the green. Positioning your shots is going to be key around this golf course. Uh, Jeff Ogilvie, when he won, he only had nine birdies for the whole week. Yeah. I mean, that's like crazy to think about in this day and age when, when, you've, when we've seen Dustin Johnson win a playoff event at 30 under par. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's just unthinkable. So it's going to be a wild ride. And I'm not so sure I've been as excited about watching a, a golf championship in a long time as what I am now in anticipation waiting for the first round tomorrow. And why is that, Kieran? the course, all the dynamics, everything coming into play? Absolutely. I mean, you have, I mean, we've just come off the playoffs. So we've seen Dustin Johnson playing golf at his very best. Rory McIlroy, obviously a little distracted because he's just had a baby. Right. He's going to bring, I think he's going to bring his best to this golf course. Tiger Woods, I mean, he's always has to be in everybody's picture. You've got Bryson DeChambeau. You've got, oh, Matt, you've got Justin Thomas. You've got John Rahm. You've got all these players playing really very well indeed. I mean, if not the best that they could possibly play. And ultimately, you're going to get a chance to see them match the best that they have against the best that the USGA has, which is Wingfoot. And that's mm. going to be the matchup that, that everybody wants to see. How do these players at the very best of their games, compete on this golf course. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. from, from, a, from a golf nerd's perspective, you know, it's watching that, you know, the strategy, that the plays, that the trouble shots, the, the quality of strikes required to, to get the ball into the correct spots, and the differences of style that we're going to see. We're going to see maybe Tiger Woods plot, plot his way around the golf course a little more than, say, Bryson that's going to stand there and try and power the shots around. It, to me, it's just the perfect theatre for, for golf fans everywhere this week. What do you think about uh, this is almost kind of like uh, a nostalgia week for Phil? Yes. He said but that he doesn't. He said that he doesn't think about it. You know, people ask, have asked him already what he remembers. Well, honestly, he is, he's right to not to want to think about it because it has to pain him so much that he, that he didn't get the job done uh, in 2006. That, there's a little part of him that is missing uh, inside, in his heart, because he wasn't able to have his hands on that trophy at the end of that week. Um, this one probably more than any of his other opportunities. And I can guarantee that even though he said he wasn't, he stood on that 18th team and just thought, Damn, what happened? How did I let this one go? And you can try and put it to the back of your mind, but it, inside it still hurts. And there are times, and I don't care what anybody says, if you've been close to winning one that you want, and you don't do it, it sits in you and it, and it festers and it hurts and it will be there forever. It never goes. And um, so for him to, 
to play this week. He has to put aside all those demons, which is what he's talking, you know, when he talks about it, it's, it you know, he's talking the right games. Um, he's coming off a win on the PJ Tour Champions. Obviously a different golf course, but he can take the confidence of winning and knowing what it took to get the job done coming down the stretch. The feeling of nerves that you feel, the adrenaline rush, knowing that you, you have a chance to win. All of those he's felt fairly recently. And if he can play this golf course, if he can not hit it off the planet, I mean, he's one of the best up and down merchants that's ever lived. And mm -hmm. from looking at this golf course, that's exactly what you need to achieve. Would it be a fairy tale? Absolutely. But what's this year been like? I mean, we've seen Sophia Popov perform True. a miracle down there at the AIG Women's British Open. This would be a, a Cinderella story to match all Cinderella stories, wouldn't it? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, as we start to wind up, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, some thoughts on some of the other players uh, from your part of the world originally? Uh, Justin Rose, Tommy Fleetwood, and Paul Casey. Well, I, I think, you know, when I look at those three, Justin Rose has been a little bit quiet of late, um, but obviously he knows how to get the job done at the US Open. Uh, you've got to putt the ball well, though. So I don't know where he stands uh, in relation to that. Nobody would be surprised because he's a great tactician around the golf course. I could totally see him play well. Um, Paul Casey. Now he's a he's a bit of a, a, a sleeper um, in that he has everything he needs to to, to do well uh, on this golf course. Uh, his game's in that right spot. But I think that the the young guy, Tommy Fleetwood. I think you know he's got a little something something in terms of how straight he hits it. That you know the type of shots that he plays. He might be the out of the three. He, he might be the one to, to really watch. Terrific. Um, would you venture a guess or a pick? <laughs> uh, oh, it's so easy to pick, to pick a Justin Thomas or a, a Dustin Johnson or, you know, a, a somebody like that. You know, Xander Shoffley is a guy that's on everybody's lips right now. But it's tough to be the guy that's on everybody's lips in terms of winning. You know, that's 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 level of expectation that everybody's placing on you. And in fact, he even has that level of expectation on himself. I, I think the person for me, and, and and kind of I felt like this person would win the you know could could win the tour championship too. I thought he could win the FedEx Cup. Um, is Daniel Berger, mm -hmm. and this sounds a little bit random, uh, but he's definitely flying under the radar. He's a good driver of the golf ball and he has a tremendous short game. His scrambling stats are really good and his scrambling from the rough is really good. Uh, the only thing that kind of would, would hold him back a bit, I think is that his wins have been on Bermuda grass. This obviously isn't Bermuda grass and it's, it's, but he has enough of a chip on his shoulder, I think to, to, uh, to maybe get the job done around it. But who, who knows? I mean, I, I just think it's, so much depends on on the player's attitude and 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 really, Sandra Shoffle is a is a is a fabulous pick right now. Terrific. All right. Um, thank you, Karen, for taking the time. So, where You're are welcome. you off to next week? When's your next stop? Uh, next week, I'm going home, and I get to be a, a mum to Logan, 
and I get to hang out with him at home, take him to baseball practice, help him with his his schoolwork, although he doesn't really need my help with that, but I get to make sure that he gets up and has breakfast and does his online school. And um, and that's it. Just really enjoy being with him next week and uh, and uh, getting ready to go to Atlantic City the following week for the next LPGA event. Shoprite Classic. So we'll see you there. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Looking, looking forward to that very much. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Karen, and uh, have a good night. Douglas, oh, you're welcome. You too. This has been a lot of fun talking to you as always. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, we're so pleased to have you join us. It's been fantastic. Awesome stuff. Thank you. Thank you.